You're listening to On Human Rights, where we bring you interviews with experts from around the world on the issues of human rights and humanitarian law. My name is Gabriel Stein. We're broadcasting from the Rao Wallenberg Institute in Loon, Sweden. Thanks for joining us. Today, RWI's Jemima Watkins interviews Hilal Elver. She is the UN Special Rapporteur on the Right to Food. Ms. Elver is also a research professor and Global Distinguished Fellow at University of California, Santa Barbara. Enjoy. I first wanted to talk to you about the basics. Why is the right to food a human right? Yes, uh, right to food is actually fundamental human rights uh, since the earlier of the human rights principles came into the life, which is 1948 uh, Universal Declaration of Human Rights, Article 25. They made clear that uh, among other economic and social rights, which much connected with the right to life. Right to food is part of the uh, important fundamental human rights. Then in 1966, we have um, among the two covenants, one is civil and political right, the other is economic and social rights covenant, Article 11 is specifically dealt with the human rights to food. Uh, despite all these things, but there is a problem on these particular issues because some of the, or maybe mostly European uh, governments, uh, were a, a little reluctant to accept economic and social rights proper human rights, especially United States and Commonwealth countries. Uh, even in 1993, there was a UN human rights uh, uh, summit in Vienna, they made clear that all human rights are uh, equal, they are indivisible, and they are interrelated, which means civil and political rights and economic and social rights are together, still economic and social rights are left behind. So that is the question always we receive, whether or not a right to food is a real human mm. rights. Yeah. But it is. <laughs> yeah, it is, yes. Um, so <laughs> which is, which, which I would say, uh, this covenant was uh, accepted by 162 countries, which mm -hmm. is customary international law, I think, according to international law principles, because widely accepted uh, human rights document, mm -hmm. despite this question mark. Okay. So that must be challenging. It is a challenging because, especially recently, the last 10 years, there is a strong uh, kind of resistance to make economic and social rights part of the human rights because it, it clashes with the free market economy. Mm -hmm. So that's why uh, we have to struggle, especially outside of Geneva, because Geneva is a major human rights institution under the UN flag, but uh, because I'm right to food special rapporteur, I have a lot of connection with the uh, food and agricultural organization organization, FAO, and whenever I talk to FAO, governments are a little bit, some governments are a little bit uh, suspicious about why we are talking about human rights here, because we do the food security, that's a different thing. So we, there is a, a frustration, but at the same time, our job is teaching them, taking, uh, telling them that they have to take seriously. Mm -hmm. So that comes with together challenge and opportunity mm -hmm. to give us a platform. Yeah, it must require patience. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, can we talk about your most recent report that focused on the right to food in the context of natural disasters? 
Um, how can food assistance and food be optimized in this context? Well, uh, the, when I started this um, report on uh, food insecurity, because in recent years, last, uh, let me uh, tell you, since 2005, uh, the, there was a kind of reduction of the food uh, insecure people, and then last three, four years, uh, food insecurity become even more and more increasing. So uh, everyone tried to find out what is going on, why we cannot hand, we cannot eliminate hunger and food insecurity. So we focus on the uh, structural problems. The one of the structural problem was uh, uh, increased uh, amount of the natural disaster and natural disasters that basically extreme weather related disaster which is drought and flood and um, connected with wild uh, wildfires and after wildfires there's a mudslide that was a kind of serious uh, issues of the disasters which 80% is climate change related so we looked at the countries that they are already suffering from the impact of climate change they are also suffering from food insecurity. So then uh, it became an important issue and I decided to write, focus on this uh, disaster, uh, natural disaster issues. Same year actually, I didn't even know FAO focus uh, in their uh, yearly SOFI report, uh, same thing about the uh, disasters, how natural disasters and climate change impact on uh, the food security. It was a very, very important issue and an alarming issue. And also at the same time, how we cannot see uh, the global policies together. Nobody talks about the when we are talking about the climate change, about the food insecurity, but it's so connected, so together. So I try to make the focus that uh, the global policies should be connected, which sustainable development goals, as you know, this is the new way of next 20 years, next 15 years, how we are doing our economic and social policies has to be connected with variety of issues, not only food, but also poverty, but also climate change, but also rural poverty and gender empowerment. Look at kind of together in a more a policy coherence method. So it was a kind of a good idea to focus on uh, disasters in this report. Mm. But you also have a number of reports. One is on conflict and hum uh, the right to food in the context of conflict. And I'm going <laughs> to skip over to this one yeah. now. Um, and I w could you explain in what ways does conflict cause food disasters? Yeah, OK. When mm. I start looking at why the food uh, security in not decreasing, food insecurity is problem, why hunger is increasing, I saw the major reason of the food insecurity, actually severe food insecurity, which is starvation and famine is connected with the war and conflicts. When you look at the uh, reports in uh, global disaster reports and global uh, war reports, you see uh, clearly that uh, food insecurity is very much uh, severely problematic in countries, especially Sub-Saharan Africa and the Middle East, that under protracted crisis. Protracted crisis means the 
crises are coming, one after another, a political crisis, which is South Sudan, Somalia, Yemen, Northeast Nigeria, even Syria. Uh, all these uh, countries are right now under serious uh, Yemen, uh, serious threat be because conflict is absolutely, I mean, no brainer to, see, to say that the conflict is problematic, you cannot access the food, but also you see how conflict is connected with the disasters and political dysfunctionality. So you have to find if there is a food insecurity quite a long time because of the drought, uh, flood and other things, and then political problems come, resource conflicts because be become important, and people are either fighting the tribal tribes are fighting with each other because of water, because of uh, access to land, or they are leaving their countries, which significant problem of the displacement in the world. As you know, Europe is suffering from displacement, but all about the conflicts in the African countries, which basically sub-Saharan Africa. So again, as I said, connections are very important. And the way, the way in which we have to understand food insecurity first, we have to deal with the conflict. To come to the food aid issues, a food aid is a very interesting area of the uh, last uh, 75, 80 years after the Second World War. If you look, especially developed countries are using this food aid as a kind of dumping area for surplus food, especially United States. But it turned out to be this is more problematic than helping the countries because it destroys the uh, um, local market and make the people dysfunctional. If you look at the countries that they are constantly food insecure, these are the countries that uh, constantly getting food aid. So. There was a problem, understood, in 2016, there was a big uh, World Humanitarian um, Summit, it was in uh, Istanbul, and they made the decision, food aid is not anymore the title, that food assistance come replace the food aid, which means development must be connected with the emergency issues. When you emergency situation, you can dump the food, but this is not a solution. When you dump the food, maybe to avoid very important emergency issues, you have to also understand the local market, local people, local understanding in relation to food, not to destroy entirely food system in a country. So that was very much clear. Another issue was uh, clear after the uh, this summit. Uh, it is very important to avoid before the danger emergency comes from. So preventive measures are so important than uh, just giving food when uh, the situation becomes uh, manageable. So, uh, but despite all these things, uh, fundings are problem uh, because uh, beyond the international community's uh, capacity to help uh, that kind of problematic countries, but at the same time nobody wanted to uh, make a commitment for the preventive measures because preventive measures seems like a 
no reason right now to put that money country A or country B, but if something comes up very serious, then maybe we can help. That's a very, very bad policy that food assistance is still suffering despite the understanding of food assistance is important to make a more uh, kind of structural changes in uh, countries that they are ca not capable uh, to make the food security continuously. Mm -hmm. And who are the most vulnerable then to these food insecurities? Yeah. Of course, the most vulnerable always are women, children, elderly people, and also people that displace, for instance, uh, people in refugee camps. We, we see the refugee camps in Europe or uh, Middle Eastern countries. These are the refu uh, refugee camps are much better condition than the African countries. When I traveled in Africa, especially for instance in Zambia, I visited the refugee camps near the Angola border completely forgotten because there's not enough money to put the refugee camps in relation to make their life better. The all money goes to the Middle East and North African countries because they are so worried about the, this flow of people will come to Europe. So um, the refugees and displaced people are also extremely uh, vulnerable. So we should first think about them and then, of course, the whole system mm. should be funded better way. Yeah, you mentioned women, and when I was reading your report on gender, I found mm. myself asking, why are women disproportionately affected by malnutrition and, in, and food insecurity? Can you? That's a good elaborate? question. Thank you, first of all, reading for my <laughs> report. Uh, so the women, uh, women have a very important role in relation to food security. There are several reasons for this. You can start start from your family. Who is who is pro uh, preparing food for you in your home? Your mother generally, right? Mm. This is a just a simple example. But if you look at the production level, the women are much more visible right now. In FAO, we talk about the feminization of the agricultural policy, because many men already left their villages and lands to move to other countries to get a job. You know, they become displaced people, you know, internal displaced or refugees. Women are left behind. They have to take care of the land. They have to take care of children. They have to take care of the elderly. So uh, gradually we see uh, women are very active in production level. but this activity doesn't really resonate in the policies because basically they are not uh, mostly they are not property owners because they are not property owners they cannot get the credit they cannot get the extension they cannot get the training programs fao is dealing with right now the food policies from the gender perspective but you know what they started in only 2007 so it's very late but it is never never so it's a good a positive step uh, looking at food policies from the production to the consumption level, every level. And from the nutrition uh, point of view, 
as you know, women have a product, uh, reproductive uh, capacity. So if you really want to have a healthy future generation, you have to take care of women uh, when uh, they become pregnant because pregnancy period is one of the major uh, period for unborn child and first two years of a child is very important. If they have this zero to one thousand year, uh, one thousand uh, day, sorry, <laughs> uh, the one thousand day is so important because in this period, if a child have a three weeks foot insecurity, three weeks only, they have a everlasting impact in their brain and in their immunity system. So that's a very important issue to protect women and children in this case. But also you have to protect women as a woman, not as a mother. So I am always against to make the women as a kind of wife, caretaker, and, chi and the child uh, producer or mother. So women as a woman have a different kind of nutritional uh, needs. So it has to be uh, more carefully uh, calculated and also it has to be shown in the statistics. Generally, we looked at the statistic, the statistics are disaggregated. You don't know how many people um, in the household who is more food insecure than others. If you look at the family structure, women are the last to eat the food. So that's, a, anyway, we have anecdote in Turkey, food comes first, uh, the, uh, the father, then the children, then the animals, the rest for the women. So I hope still not like that, but there's an anecdote like that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Is there any protection in place to protect? There are a lot of good laws, mm -hmm. extremely good laws, but these good laws sometimes stays in the uh, law books rather than uh, practicing, mm -hmm. because practicing is much more um, related to customary rules, traditional patriarchal uh, understanding of the family structure, even the state. State sometimes becomes very patriarchal. So you really have to fight uh, to make a good law and then to implement this good law. So it takes time, but it, it's a rather more positive way for the future, but it's a long way to go. <laughs> yeah, I see. <laughs> yes. Um, I'm going to turn the attention more to pesticides now, which is okay. a, another one of your reports. Um, and there's a massive discussion on whether we need pesticides to feed the planet. What's your take on this? Well, first of all, this is a big myth, which I made in my report. It's a myth because you don't have to really... Uh, sort of uh, make yourself inside of the chemicals in order to uh, feed the world because this food is not healthy for people anyway. And if you look at the using pesticide, uh, pesticides last 50 years, even last 30 years is incredibly increasing. So there is a more use of pesticides than ever in human history. So. I am wondering what will what will happen in last next 50 years 
the generation how it's going to affect it because it's unprecedented increase of the pesticides and fertilizers have a serious impact on human health and environment. But the problem is the causality between impact uh, between impact of the pesticides and chemicals on human health is very difficult to make clear cut example. Sometimes there's very good clear cut examples and recently there are many court cases against the pesticides. For instance, one in the United States in San Francisco, uh, there was a pesticides uh, implementer in school gardening. A man is dying right now, and finally ju judge made a decision. There is a connection between pesticides, heavily pesticides used, and his cancer. So w WHO, World Health Organization, has also reports about possibility. You have to listen under that possibility, not the guarantee. Possibility of the uh, using excessive uh, pesticides and chemicals uh, can make uh, cancers. So uh, we have to go a little bit longer and much deeper in this area. If you think about 40, 50 years ago, what happened to uh, cigarette companies, tobacco users, it was in the question mark and went to court cases and finally they made a clear connection between cancer and the uh, cigarette uh, smoking. It's the kind of the similar thing but it's a very, very serious because not only agricultural workers, first of all, agricultural workers are in serious dangers, but then their families and then environment. For instance, if there's a school nearby plantation, when they spray the pesticides, these children are just there. And there are many cases about uh, um, incidents. I'm not even talking about incidents. I'm talking about the residues that becomes more after more in the same area. It's, and sometimes, there, we talk about the cocktail of the pesticides, which is not only one pesticide, several different kind of chemicals comes in the one foot, let's say banana. So they never look at all the pesticides. They only look at on one chemicals. So the combination of the chemicals, even the very lower level, to tolerable level, could be uh, dangerous in the long term. So there are many, many things to expose in relation to pesticides, which is extremely serious. Mm. Can you talk about the double standards between countries? Of course, like many other policies, double standards are also in use of pesticides. Sometimes, in especially in developed countries, as you know, European Union, for instance, is extremely strict. United States, too, they have, an, um, they have rules and principles. Some of them are banned, some of them are restricted to use, but these pesticides could be easily used in outside of other countries. Sometimes, uh, I think European Union has a good law about the banned pesticides cannot be exported, but there, sometimes they, it's very easy to repackaging 
and using third countries from one place to another. For instance, if one pesticide goes to Brazil, even banned, and they repackage them in a smaller packages and send them to Argentina or Paraguay. So that is a very serious issue. And uh, the first item, the developed countries should make clear that anything that is banned and restricted in developed countries should be completely banned to sell outside. That needs an interna international convention, but so far we don't have this. Okay, so that's a problem to that's be solved. That's a problem <laughs> to be solved, yes. Um, so why do you think that the right to food, as you mentioned in the beginning, is not a priority as a human right? Well, as I said, several reasons for one is uh, civil and political rights are yeah. extremely important in relation to human rights issues, especially in the Western countries. This was a ideological difference between the civil and economic rights and the economic, civil and political rights and economic and social rights comes from all the way the Cold War period. You know, the capitalist countries are pushing the civil rights and the communist countries and Russia, Soviets were, were pushing the economic and social rights. Now it is over, gone. After 1990, you think that there will not be competition anymore uh, anyway between the two. Unfortunately, after 1990s, free market economy becomes so strong and powerful. So economic and social rights become enemy of the free market economy. If you really take seriously economic and social rights, you have to look at the trades rules and principles, international economic order, how you uh, limit uh, such uh, policies that affect people's livelihood. It, this comes from health and it comes from food more significantly and other economic and social rights too. Sometimes in developing world, the countries cannot really make their own policies without uh, taking seriously international economic order. So growth-oriented economies should really stress the economic and social rights because you need a social protection, you need a social security, you need to take care of your own people. So when you put your sources to the economic and social rights, you cannot be competing maybe in the global growth rate uh, increase. So these are a major problems, I think. Now, not ideological, but economical reasons. Mm -hmm. Hello, Albert. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. That was RWI's Jemima Watkins interviewing Hilal Alver, who is the UN Special Rapporteur on the Right to Food. Thanks for listening to the Raoul Wallenberg Institute's podcast on human rights. Please go to our website, www.rwi.lu.se, for more information and to sign up for our newsletter. Until next time, thanks. <laughs>